don't do what Sir Bemrose does. And welcome to episode number 28 of Grumpy Old Benz. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where they're tearing up the streets and the thunderclouds are forming. And from America's left coast, where computer viruses are known to the state of California to cause cancer. I'm Ryan Bemrose. How does that happen? You guys are pretty screwed up on the left coast. I have to say we don't have that problem here in Chirac. It took you 28 episodes to start to figure that out. You guys are pretty screwed up on the left coast. Thank you. How long have I been telling you this? It would explain sometimes the arguments you make. It might must be something in the air or something in the water. Just guessing. Yes, it is. It's also something in the capitals in Olympia and Sacramento and Salem. Welcome to everybody in the No Agenda Troll Room. We hijack their troll room when we're doing these shows. We've been doing them live for so long now. Maybe we should have our own troll room, but what fun would that be? noagendastream.com is where you can find it noagendastream.com is where you can find us doing this show live almost always why would we spend the effort to try to to build our own audience when we can just inflict our show on someone else's audience that seems fair that seems reasonable and we're very thankful to adam curry and john c dvorak and void zero and everybody else over at the no agenda family for letting us little grumpy old bands i mean of course you're the program director on the no agenda stream so I mean, kind of like the cheese, you stand alone. You're the number one guy. Well, I'm the guy. I don't even know if you could be toppled. I, I, I think that it, it would be difficult. Somebody, would else, somebody else would have to start doing the job. <laughs> and you don't get paid. So that's very hard to find people to work for free. I get that. Yeah. I, I do get that. But that's where we do the show live. Uh, Fridays, 9 a.m. Bemrose time, which is left coast, west coast time. Yes. And 11 a.m. Central. 11 a.m. Central and 9 a.m. JCD. And sometimes that's when you can roll out of bed and, and not be hungover. Today, maybe not one of those days. I mean, I guess you've rolled out of bed unless unless your lovely wife brought the microphone over and just hung it over the bed. I'm waiting for that day. That is a great idea. I'll have to bring that up with her. But no, meanwhile, uh-huh. today I rolled myself out of bed and directly into a pot of coffee. So let's do this thing. What's our topic today? Today, we're talking about computer security because people seem to like the tech topics. We do have an executive producer. We'll just get that right out of the way. Our buddy Dumpster, who we talked about on the last episode, really enjoyed what we did in the last episode, talking about all of those technical bits, even though you were making some very bad arguments about those talking tubes and stuff like that. You think all my arguments are bad. That's true. It's for good radio, though. I understand that. I said that before the show. It's the Sir Bemrose genius. When you constantly take the contrary side and just say crazy stuff, nobody knows if you really believe what you're saying anymore or if you're just trying to do a bit for content. That doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It's the end result. And Dumpster liked the OTG episode. He sent us in a donation. Executive producer, we dig it. If you like what you're hearing on the show, you you can always go to grumpyoldbenz.com and donate. But more importantly, tell a friend about the show. Let them know. The greatness that is Grumpy Old Ben's. Let them know where to subscribe. Let them know the crazy stuff Sir Bemrose said this week, and they'll be sure to want to check it out. They'll be like, nobody can say that kind of crazy stuff. So thank you, Dumpster. We appreciate the donation. We really do. I mean, that's, I mean, again, that is the most, there's a lot of people can give you compliments and stuff, but the minute anybody 
sends a little cash your way. You know they're serious and we appreciate it. Yes. Some people want to send blankets and water. We welcome those too, but my spare room is filling up. So how many blankets and how much water do you need in there in the uh, great left coast? Are you, well, are you the, ready? The, the blankets are helpful. The water, however, literally falls from the sky. So you don't have like a bomb shelter or anything going on under the big cabin out there and out in the woods. Why already bombed it? You know, that doesn't really do very well, but we'll, we'll talk about security in another way. Let's talk about computer security. And this one, I wanted to kind of break down in a few different ways. I mean, we've talked about cell phones a lot in the past, so we'll talk about that a little bit. But I mainly wanted to cover just overall internet security, computer security. Of course, we're connected to the internet, which you know, I guess to be fair, before the internet, computer security was a real breeze. You kept somebody out of your room and <laughs> your computer was safe. You'd be surprised. Uh, before there was the internet, you still had to have a means of getting software onto your computer. And I remember the the very first installation of, of Windows that I ever installed, which uh, I may or may not have paid for, but in my defense, uh, I was young. It came on like 25 floppy disks. And you had to, before you put any of those floppy disks into your computer, you had to check and make sure that you had the, the right protect tab was still intact. and that you you know there there were things that you had to do because there was ways if somebody especially if if you ended up with somebody else's bootleg version then well i mean also nobody really understood the concept of malware which meant that it was it was easy for someone to uh just throw out a piece of malware that nobody even knew then again back then the 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 idea of malware was uh you make something that displays something funny on the screen unexpectedly or you put in a, a TSR that starts typing phantom commands. Basically, back then, uh, malware was for the purpose of fucking with people and not necessarily stealing their data or uh, or their money or compromising their identity. Yes. The consequences have gotten a lot worse lately. Yeah, because not being connected to a network, there's only so many things you can do to screw with somebody. But you're right. A little screen would come up like, hey, you've been owned by XYZ. And then you were like, well, I'll just take the floppy out and put a different one in and yeah. everything will be back to normal because heart i mean really and and hard drives are a thing yeah back when back when computers didn't have a hard drive you'd be like oh shit something got it on my computer that i didn't want let's just control it delete everything is golden it's weird when you think about how far these things have actually come i mean i think we talked about in one episode before that my trs 80 color computer the way to get the data on was to use a normal cassette player with a little cable connected through. I mean, you thought the modem sounds were bad. I don't think these things were running at 300 baud, maybe about there. And you had to rely on those tapes. The the other excellent and time-honored method of uh, of getting software into your computer was you would run debug.exe and you would type out assembly language codes that were printed in a magazine. And, you know, some of these things that go on for pages and pages. And if you screwed up one of those codes when you were entering it, you could really, really mess up your system. I mean, these kids today with their cell phones and their shiny little apps, and they're, they're they never had to do that. that. Yeah. They never had to do that. Open up a magazine like, hey, would you like to play tic-tac-toe? Put these 8,000 lines of code into your computer. Yeah. <laughs> back, back in maybe. the day when when you would spend... <laughs> seven hours entering codes for to create the thing 
knowing that the moment you rebooted your computer, it was gone, but that was fine because you really only get an hour worth of use out of the software anyway. I mean, it was at least a learning experience and you started understanding how these computer things worked, which is yeah. something that we've lost. Everybody back these then things. became a Ben because they had to. Sir Matthew in the chat room is absolutely right. This is just your typical gr- grumpy old Ben's rant <laughs> with ah, these kids these days. They got it too easy. They don't yeah. even know what it was like back in the with, day. I mean, come on, you had connectivity to use and, and their working software. But well, not all of it. works. Not all the software works and not all of the software is is working for you. So well, which is why computer security is important, because way back when, like you said, if you got a malware piece on your machines back in the day, you got something that popped up on your screen or the thing didn't work right or whatever it was, you weren't losing your identity. Nobody was getting your banking information. Nobody was downloading photos of you or whatever else you may have on your computer. So it's a much more dangerous world because everything is connected and people take all this stuff for granted. The Jews named Ben, the people like us that grew up that had to put in these, you know, either whether it be even basic codes to, you know, basic programming to make a program, to make it work, to do something, you at least understand how the computer works. You get a concept of what's going on behind the scenes. And a lot of people, I think, take this stuff for granted so much that they never even think, well, you know, one, it's never going to happen to me. This is all pretty secure stuff. I'm not going to be a target, which is probably the biggest fallacy that 99.9% of people use when you talk about computer security. So we're, we're going to try to touch on a lot of that stuff today to let you know how it works, what to watch out for. And in the old days, you got something up on your screen that says, hey, you've been owned by XYZ Group. Now they don't want you to know you've been owned. Now they want to get a foothold into your computer. Oh, they, they, want, they want your computer to work for them. And they do. Yeah. Which when you're when even not only just stealing your data, a lot of times they just want to use your computer as yeah. part of and they're a stealing botnet. your processor cycles there. I mean, you, the stealing your data is actually not. I mean, identity theft is a thing and there are hackers out there who would like to capture your identity so that they can use it to apply for credit cards or uh, to use your identity to sign on to another service online or something. But for the most part, the the data stealing, which we've talked about on previous shows, is uh, the data stealing is something Silicon Valley does. And, uh, you know, whether or not you trust them is is up to you. But that's that's a completely different threat. The threat from hackers is these days is usually uh, is your computer going to be turned into a zombie that participates in online attacks? That's usually the end result. Unless they're using you to get another another system, right? Or as Sir Matt, you pointed out mining for uh, mining Bitcoin. Well, which yes. is a hell of a lot easier if you have thousands of machines. We call that the Bitcoin attack. Yeah, I mean it's not as prevalent anymore because it's nearly impossible to mine yeah. one. But I guess you know, not too long ago, it was doable to to get some get some coinage. Although Bitcoin, I mean, I know people yeah, will be listening to the, this at any time. So software We're currently in another phase of down. Is it? I I honestly don't follow it. No, unfortunately, people aren't donating Bitcoin to the show. And as a result, uh, I don't have any reason to follow it. Right. But you can if you want to donate Bitcoin to the show, grumpyoldbenz.com. My Bitcoin wallet is there. Feel free before Bitcoin goes to zero. At least get some use out of it and send it over as a donation to grumpy old Benz. But 
Computer security is a multi-layered thing, which again, we'll go back to the beginnings of this online world. And it used to be your computer had a modem in it and you correct, uh, you connected directly to the internet. There was nothing in between you and the internet. Now that's pretty rare. I don't know if anybody's still connecting that way. I don't think many people are using modems as far as the dial-in variety. Well, the, the, the internet doesn't use modems anymore. So if you're dialing into anywhere, then that's what's between you and the internet. But almost everybody now, as far as home use goes for all your desktops, all of your laptops, all of your internet of things, even your cell phones, when you're at home, if you're smart are going through your home router. So that's probably a legitimate place to start talking about computer security and keeping the bad bits out, keeping the good bits in, all that kind of thing. Because the router, it's, that's the door to your computer system. You know, that's the door to your network. And it's, it's scary when you read sites, as I do, on you know, hacker sites, computer news, and all this, where a lot of the old routers have some pretty nasty security holes in them. And it's also something, and I know there are reasons to hate forced updates on things like Windows machines, but there are a lot of routers. I think most routers do not automatically update their firmware. And almost, do you know any average user who you wouldn't call a dude named Ben or somebody really into tech that, one, really understands how to log into their router, and two, understands that they should be looking for and checking for updated software anyone that's not a computer guy do that well no the router is is an appliance to most of these people the idea that it has software that can be updated or changed or even configured is the the iot is blurring the lines these days but uh the the difference at least in you know 20 years ago it was pretty obvious uh you know this thing is a computer you load software onto it, you run the software on it. It does a lot of things. And this here is an appliance, which you just plug things in and it goes forever on its own until it breaks. And uh, you know, the, the appliance idea came from uh, washer and dryer or dishwasher or fridge, which are things that uh, at least in the past didn't have any real software on them. You just put them in, you attached whatever wires and setup you need, and then you go. Now, of course, nowadays, everybody's washer and dryer or fridge has Android installed on it, but that's another topic entirely. Hey, I'd like that my washer and dryer can now tell me when things are done. I mean, it's a convenience. I don't Mine know. Mine always could. It makes the most god-awful <laughs> bang. Yours is in the basement. You can't hear it. So technology, it's such a great thing. But I mean, even dudes named Ben, our buddy Blitzed in the troll room right now, he just updated his router yesterday. So extra points to him. Sir Mathieu. He hasn't updated in five years, he thought, about his tomato, the version of tomato running on his router, which will lead us into talking about there are alternate firmwares for almost every router out there. And that's the first choice I guess you really have to make when it's coming down to your router's security is do you trust the software that the manufacturer has put out for it? And some are better than others, and some update way more than others. But if you're sitting on a router, especially, that you haven't had an update, an official update from the the manufacturer for years, you may want to be looking into third-party software to put on their third-party firmware instead. If you have a manufacturer that's really up and keeping security good with these things, the average user, I don't think, 
as long as that's being updated, should have to worry about putting in third-party firmware because this is something that starts getting you into the, I think, uh, nitty-gritty, the dude named Ben kind of stuff because you can screw your router up. I have bricked routers in the past, so you have to understand there is a risk if you don't follow the directions. I think we might need to back up a step here uh, because you, you talk about the average user and it occurs to me the average user doesn't even own their own router. It turns out that for, you know, we have two ISPs in this house. Um, don't ask why there are reasons, uh, but did you need uh, backup? Well, there's that. Um, I, I do do a, uh, uh, a podcast where I require a lot of bandwidth, just like John Dvorak does, even though that didn't help him when his power went out yesterday. Dude, there is thunder going on so bad right now. I'm just waiting for that to happen to me. I, <laughs> I'm just it, waiting and, for it to be boom. <laughs> and let me tell you when. When that goes out, I am going to just continue ranting anyway. But since you're the one doing the broadcasting, I'll probably just be ranting into this. Anyways, what was I saying? Uh, oh, everybody doesn't own it. Yeah, we have two ISPs here. Uh, one of them is a, a legacy Fios connection uh, for which we own the router. And I I do, in fact, update it, although it's been a little while. Uh, but the other one, we're on a different update schedule because it is owned by Comcast and we just call about every 6 to 12 months and ask them if there is a new version of the router that we can upgrade to and often if you take the thing into the Comcast store and you can walk out with the latest version and getting a new router is one way it is in fact the primary way that most people end up with new router firmware so uh do you recommend for example uh that i put any custom software on this Comcast owned router or do you even recommend that people use their ISP router? You're probably locked down if it's not owned by you. I would believe that if Comcast is giving you the router, you can't even change the firmware. I would be surprised if that's not the case. And I can tell you, I'm not a fan of renting modems or of routers to the point, And it looks like now we can get the unlimited data plan, something I'm paying 50 bucks extra a month for, for free if I took one of their Xfinity routers. I don't want it. I do not want the router because they're collecting data on them. They're very clear about what they're doing. And again, this is a case as we talked about, I think in the OTG episode and a bunch of other ones, which is if they're giving you something for free, there's got to be a reason they're getting something out of it. So it all depends upon your technical expertise. Be be aware that these ISPs, the, the routers, they're not free, but they're still collecting data on you. So you're, you're actually paying to give them data. ISPs are you like mean, right when you're right when you're renting the ones from them they have much more control over it and I, I get a little bit why somebody like Xfinity is doing this because as an Xfinity phone user I realize going up and down most streets you're hitting so many open Xfinity Wi-Fi points that this is why they want to control your router one of them is because they want to use your router also to allow other people to access the internet when they're out and about, they want their Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere. But for me, yeah, I, I don't want the, you know, at this point, it's not even worth that trade of 50 bucks a month to be like, well, yeah, I'm going to go to your router where I can't change almost anything in it. It's very much locked down. But what do you think? Well, sadly, I think I'm going to have to agree with you. You should, uh, you should own your own router, even if you ignore the security, the uh, update ability and the cost alone is a, a reason you should own your own router. Uh, in fact, uh, 
I, I know somebody who is a salesperson at Comcast and they still, they were like, okay, what kind of routers work with this? Okay. I'm going to go buy one uh, because they cost you too much money and there's the security thing. So I think this is going to, we're, we're going to chalk this up to the, the first point in this episode. We're going to have a lot of them in this particular episode where uh, I'm going to recommend uh, do as I say and not as I do, because I absolutely understand the, the best security practices in a lot of cases, but I don't actually follow all of them. And some of the things that I do, like browser security, is shit that's just not convenient for the average person, like turning off JavaScript. Absolutely improves security, probably not convenient. And let's also talk about the modem. Depends on who you are. Some people think modem and router are the same thing because a lot of those have been shoved down our throats by ISPs because they don't want to give you two devices. So a lot of times they are combined together into one. I would argue that for almost everybody, those are the same device. Right. Not for me. You have one device that has a plug that goes out to the network like a coaxial cable. And then it has, say, four ports on it that go to internal devices. And that's just how they work for people. Uh, And internally, they happen to be separate devices. But for most people, I don't think they are. Right. If If one goes bad, then they both go down, hardware connected. I've never had a combined unit. My parents do. And it's one we bought. So you can still do that even with. Uh, most ISPs, including Comcast, if you can get one of these devices, I think theirs is a Netgear that we bought for them that is both the router, Wi-Fi, and modem all in one. And that's I, fine. I think it's actually difficult people. to find a modem that doesn't have a router built in these days. You can find them. Amazon's got them. That's where I got my, you know, surfboard, Amazon whatever, has Motorola or Aris. Yeah. The, I think it's ours is the Aris now, which is the, uh, you know, you kind of look, do, do a little bit of research. The modem is something that, Unless you're doing something illegal, and some people have in the past and gotten caught for doing things in their modem, which gave them you know higher speeds than they should get. But overall, if you're dealing in an ecosystem where you have a modem, there's really nothing you can do on the user end to change any of the software. The only updates it could ever get is from your ISP. They will send files to it. There is nothing that you're allowed to change. So the modem is going to be completely locked down so besides picking the right one if you're buying one on your own rather than renting it there's at least nothing as far as security when it comes to that then when you get to the router so in my case the modem connects into the router which does both wi-fi and the wired routing which again you can separate those two if you really want you can turn a you know raspberry pi into a router you can turn any device into a router and that's i think what's important for the average person to understand is that the router is another computer it is most likely run on a Linux-based system. I was thinking of turning my light bulbs into a router. You could. And some of these light bulbs, you probably could. There's probably enough processing power to do at least basic stuff. Because like a Raspberry Pi could be a fine router for a very basic network. Where you really start needing to get into higher horsepower stuff is one, if you need better Wi-Fi coverage, you want better Wi-Fi speeds. And two, if you want to do things like running a VPN at the router level, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit when it comes to security. So those are the kind of questions when you get to the router that you start asking with. So you do have a dedicated router on your system and not an all-in-one device. I mean, you actually probably have two routers because of the fact that you have two ISPs. 
we have two combo modem routers, one of which the router function is not being used because it goes into our own router. And then one of them, like I said, is is supplied and managed entirely by the ISP, which I don't recommend unless you happen to have a wife that works at the ISP and can keep really close tabs on that sort of thing. So for a router that you own, do you trust the firmware that comes with it or does it depend on the company or would you always go third party and do something like a tomato, open WRT, DDWRT, whatever the flavor of the month is? I think for most people, I mean, well, okay, you asked if I would. And of course, by default, I don't trust anything. And and this particular one has a, a DDWRT, which, like I said, is is been a while <laughs> and it's probably insecure. But I think for most people, the I mean, the the times when all routers were permanently insecure, no matter what, and it was folly to leave the original firmware on there. I think that time is over. I think most manufacturers of routers, assuming that they're reputable, most of them at least have turned off the external remote access by default. (laughs) Right, right. Which is important to know because that is bad. Some of them even don't use a a single uh, admin password for the entire firmware. Although uh, sometimes it's like admin, admin. Yay. So, yeah, well, that that that's the problem is uh, you you have a. If you get a new device and most people will never do this, most people don't realize. And fortunately, uh, most of the reputable companies are no longer doing this. But a lot of the times there was an admin password that was, you know, username, admin, password is password for the entire line of devices, which means if you happen to know the model number of the router, you could log in that way. And there are still routers that do that, but at least nowadays you can't do that from outside the router without opening up a port or something. It, it not by default, but you can usually still do it from inside the inside the network from one of the local ports. Right. Or if you want to choose to then go into your router, not change the username and password and open it up to the outside world. I mean, stupid is a stupid does it's software. It will allow you to do that. So you have to understand. We've just spent 20 minutes talking about routers and modems. Is there anything else uh, in, in computer security that, that people should be thinking about? Well, along with the router, let me just say that I've used DDWRT for years until I got this new Linksys, which is a WRT 3200, which was one that was made allegedly to easily put third-party software on, which it has been easy to do that. But it also came with a really kick-ass built-in software, usually with DDWRT. I would immediately notice, you know, better speeds. You would have easier control over port forwarding and all that. In this case, the the base Linksys uh, firmware, which was just updated a few weeks ago again, is actually really good. So I agree with you. I do think they're getting better with this. And the nice thing about this particular modem, and I'm sure other ones are doing it as well, is they actually have two partitions on the machine, which means if you're sitting there at your stock firmware, and you want to try something like DDWRT or Tomato, if you install that by going to your stock firmware and just say, okay, I want to use this file to upgrade the firmware, it will put that on the second partition, which means the first partition is still there. So it makes it a lot easier. So what you're saying is that these people are finally starting to understand some important concepts of how to update software that have were developed on the PC in like 1994. 
pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to know that it's a lot harder to brick your unit. And it also means you can put a different firmware on, try it out and go, wow, this just borked everything. This sucks. Now, what do I do? So I, I remember back in the 80s when I was capable of bricking my computer, too. I, it, it, it has happened. But yeah, it's been a while. That is a good question from the troll room. JC Jr. wants to know, do you UPNP or do you turn that off? Uh, I personally have it on for exactly the reason that he mentioned, which is that I have game consoles here. That is the problem that when you have things that can access your router and basically what that does, your game consoles like your Xbox, what this is doing on the technical side is that machine is going to your router going, hey, I need these ports, send them to me. And that adds a hell of a convenience rather than going in and manually setting up all these ports and forwarding them to your Xbox. But that is a bit of a security concern, right? It is. And uh, I mean, the the Xbox needs it because uh, the efficiency of updating once a week would would be diminished if it didn't have access to open all of its ports. That is, in fact, what the Xbox is used for, as far as I can tell. But it also then opens it up, right? So if your Xbox or whatever device And there are ways to watch what's using the UPnP. So you can log into your router and see, which is probably a good thing to do. Because if you have that on, nothing's stopping that light bulb from going in and forwarding ports. I mean, to to be honest, I'm I'm actually, believe it or not, I I trust Microsoft enough not to be intentionally opening up ports on my router trying to create software vulnerabilities uh microsoft and and xbox in particular they're not doing this to screw me over the thing you have to watch out for is is devices anything that is on your internal network from companies that are not quite as security conscious as as microsoft or or any of the really big software companies um you know for example uh and this is a great segue to internet of things uh you bring those into your main network which has upnp enabled and and has full access to all of the devices in your system congratulations your your network is compromised right which is why here's a suggestion for network security that i think people should follow and it's either one you have to get a router which can do this which is have a guest network set up and some routers allow you to do that have a guest wi-fi network some won't if your router doesn't no big deal go get like a 30 router and set that up as a guest network, which all your Internet of Things devices can use, which means they can get to the Internet, but they can't access any of your other computers on the network. It's kind of like having a guest house, which has a, or a guest room, which has a door to the outside so that when you know, if you rent it out, the people don't have to come through your living room all the time. They have access to the outside, but they don't have access to come in and play your Xbox while you're drunk sleeping. That <laughs> might have been oddly specific. specific. <laughs> it might be. That sounds like something more like your brother would do, but uh, it might be if random people are happened. coming in and playing your Xbox, then there's another reason to have those guns and concealed carry and all that. But well, with that ra- said, random people coming in and playing on your network is, <laughs> is exactly what happens when you bring in secure devices into your home. You may not so that see guest them. network. Even for your friends, I mean, again, if somebody, you never know, and this is, it's interesting because doing just a you know, little bit of research on this, just seeing what other people covered when it comes down to computer security, you know, the number one thing almost every alleged expert said was 
never like we talked about at the beginning of the show never assume you're not a target anybody can be a target for a variety of reasons could be that girl you pissed off when you were dating her and you dumped her boyfriend whatever it was people know where your wi-fi is there they can do some really bad things to you so never assume i i can only hope that this show gets big enough that all of my wild opinions make me a target <laughs> you're already a target that would be great for the show uh, i'm tracking ryan bemrose's ip address as we speak and i'll be posting that on the show notes hack so yeah we're gonna put up um, a, a bounty internet of things devices i think is uh we we covered this uh my opinion is you probably don't need them uh i am perfectly willing to get up and walk across the room to turn my light bulb on uh at the wall switch um and it's not that important to me that it be able to change color in beat with the music now some people really want to um but just be aware that uh for the most part companies that are putting out iot devices are trying to get their product sold we've covered on the show before that security and convenience are usually at odds and if a company wants to get their product out there uh if if they have to sacrifice security or convenience they're going to sacrifice security because if it's not convenient nobody will buy it but if it's not secure a lot of people probably won't know so the current state of the iot industry is that for the most part you kind of have to assume that every one of these devices is a hacker's paradise is going to be compromised the moment you connect it to the internet. Um, I actually read, it was a fantastic story about uh, somebody who had purchased some IOT light bulbs from, I don't remember one of the big companies, Hue maybe. And he, he connected them and he got a, he, he set it all up on his smartphone and he realized that he could control everything in his house. And then he realized he didn't really want them. So it was within the two weeks or whatever, and he packed them up back in the original packaging and sent them back to Amazon. And then Amazon sold them again to somebody <laughs> else. And he realized that the app on his phone could control the lights in that other person's house. Right. Cause they're attached. Yeah. That is, that is the current state of security in internet of things is the company's really I mean, security is hard. Take it from a programmer. Uh, you know, thinking about when you program something, your absolute first goal is I have to get this stupid thing working. And then if you're a responsible programmer, your second goal that you do hopefully before you ship it is I also should make it reliable. I should make it not crash. I should make it, you know, for the most part, kind of do like not do horrible things whenever some unexpected input comes in. So you get working and reliable software and then you quit and go off and have yourself a beer at the local pub and be like, yeah, ship it. We're good because all of the work that you just put in making it working and getting it reliable, you can easily put in four times that amount of work on security and very few programmers want to put in that work because again, take it from a programmer. We're lazy. Uh, we don't want to put in a whole lot of work we don't want to sit there staring at at your code and staring at your ide and and trying to figure out okay if this variable goes over here and this works this but no that's hard that's effort and not only that but nobody is patting us on the back for sitting there staring at an ide no they're patting us on the back for putting out software which by the way is why one of the main reasons why programmers 
put out updates so damn often. It's like every time you get an update, it's a little, it's a little endorphin hit. It's like, ooh, somebody just downloaded my stuff. They're using it. That is what programmers want. Well, you should know you you were a programmer. Are a programmer? I, I am a programmer. And, and so, yeah, security is hard. Programmers don't do security unless they've got solid motivation to do it. And Internet of Things. The software, the the companies are not currently particularly motivated to do it because the industry is immature and still growing so much that they're going to sell their devices. And if 10% of their people get their entire house hacked and, you know, all of their internal cameras posted the internet, eh, so what? You know what? We lose 10% of that. We're getting 40% a month in, uh, in new business because the industry is growing. That is the state of Internet of Things. So just be aware, you know, for me, if you're Sir Bemrose, you don't use it at all. But if you really need this fantastic new device in your house, you need a light bulb that comes on when you clap your hands. Okay, but just take some security measures. Come on, the clapper's been around since like the 70s, but I like the idea. The original AOT. Yeah, I like the idea of giving away like Internet of Things devices to your family and friends that you want to hack. I never thought about it that way. If you can get a foothold and figure out a way to, because they're going to, they're going to set them up. I mean, let's be honest. If you send somebody a free light bulb and be like, Hey, put them, you wouldn't, but most people would be like, Oh, I'll try this out. I'll put it in. Yeah. And all of a sudden we'll, we'll pair this to your Wi-Fi network. And then it's going to send the mothership a signal and you're going to get a foothold in. So that's an interesting, an interesting way to look at hacking. I talked about that in the random thoughts episode about the um, shipping somebody the little devices to try to get into their network this is even better just give them an internet of things device that you can then use to get into their into their network and that's a beauty of a thing but the last thing with routers and because then i want to get into the software updates which you were just talking about the endorphin hit when it comes to the router end do you recommend for people is it better does it make any difference at all when it comes to safety and security to use a vpn on the router end and again it takes a router that has to have a little bit beefier really old a really slow router is not going to be able to handle its normal duties and connecting you to a vpn to send all the traffic through your network through the vpn but it's fairly easy now if you have a router that is up to date with a decent cpu in there is it worth you know the three bucks a month or whatever it is to get a nord vpn whatever service you're using and send all of your network traffic through a VPN, does that give you any security at all, or is that just um, wishful thinking? Uh, well, okay. To to be honest, I I actually I use software VPNs, so I'm I'm pretty terrible on that. Uh, I'm going to defer this question to you because uh, you're the one who, at least in the last several shows, has has clearly been. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure Nord is paying you for ads at this point because you you <laughs> giving I like Mulved too. Yeah, I'm Mulved. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So you can go ahead and, and do your native ad, uh, because I think you're, you're definitely a lot better versed with the VPNs than I am. I have to admit that I, I should assume that I'm being targeted, but I don't VPN most of my traffic. And the reason being is, well, I don't download illegal things. I, oh, <laughs> right. Sure. You don't no. nothing at all. Don't worry about happened. that. No, um, I, I, I don't VPN most of my traffic and I have, I have uses for that, but I think that you've probably done a whole lot more research in this area than I have. And I've never run a VPN. Oh, because I tried it on my last route. I've never tried it on this one, which I've had for a few years. I've never seen a real need 
to VPN everything. But with that said, the ability is there. The faster your internet connection is through your ISP, the less likely you may want to run through a VPN because it will slow things down. We're on a gigabit connection with Nord and with Mulvad. A really good download speed is probably one tenth or, you know, or in that area, 100 megabits per second to 200 or so, where otherwise without sure. it, I can get up to that 950. So it's going to slow things down. That's I mean, one not, thing to know. Not, not only are is all of your all of the data that's being sent has to be encrypted and decrypted, although the state of current state of CPUs, that's actually pretty quick. But it's having to be routed through uh, a lot of different countries that it would never pass. And that introduces new bottlenecks. Right. So if you're on a gigabit connection, you probably don't want to VPN everything. But if you're on a connection like a lot of people are, that is, you know, 50 to 100 megabits per second, you probably will not notice any slowdown using the VPN if your router, like you said, if it has a good CPU in it to do the encrypting and decrypting, you probably won't see much, if any, of a slowdown. So that's, again, your mileage may vary. And the VPN will add certain things. It will not give away your location. I mean, it's really inter- has been interesting to watch with there's different sites out there. One is IP-ADRESS.com. I don't know if they meant to like misspell that when this site started, but it's the one I seem to keep going back to. I don't know. The biggest search engine in the world was intentionally misspelled. That's true. That is, that is very true. But if you go to that site, it will show you what your current IP address is. And it will show you on a map where it guesses you are coming from. Yeah. And it used to be fairly, you know, innocuous for me being in the outskirts of Chirac, it would say, you know, you're in the Chicago area, but that was like it. Now it's getting to the point to where if I'm on my actual IP that I have gotten from Xfinity out here, it's within a mile or two of where it's guessing you're from. So it's very, um, very accurate now as far as where you're coming from. So if you're looking to obfuscate that at all, running through a VPN can do that for you. Because when I run through, again, Nord or Mulvad or whichever VPN I'm using and connect to a one of their servers in the Chicago area for the best speeds, of course, the closest servers give you the best speeds, it, it puts you right just back in you know downtown in the city. So it's not it's not easy to pinpoint location so that is helpful if you're worried about your location being leaked these services for when, whenever i try it out these services are usually pretty good at they they can nail down which city i'm in on the left coast and they get to within about a mile of my house but that has something mostly to do with the that i'm within a mile of the dead center of the city and and i'm pretty sure that all of these things are just putting the pin mark downtown in the middle of the city because that's seems to be like they they're not narrowing it down to a street grid and that means that when when you can nail which city i'm in uh congratulations you've narrowed me down to about a hundred thousand people yeah quite a bit less in in our little area here sir matthew in the troll room is saying that in this tomato firmware there are sections for vpns he doesn't even know what they're for well they're they're twofer and tomato i believe ddwrt they both have sections for the vpn like we're talking about here which is taking all of your network traffic and running that through a VPN service, or it could be one you set up, but usually, you know, a VPN that you're buying monthly, sending all of your traffic that's going out of your router to that VPN before it hits the rest of the world. 
but these third-party firmwares, and I think some of the ones that are coming with the routers now, allow you to use your router as a VPN, which basically means it'll run the software where it'll allow you, say, from your cell phone to connect to your home router before it sends anything out to the external world. So it's actually both letting you run your own VPN and letting you access VPN. So that's another part of the router security. You know, that is probably overkill for most people. But if you're worried about being tracked, if you're worried about your IP address going out there, the VPNs will definitely help hide that. But you'll also have to understand then we would have a conversation about the IPv4 and IPv6. Because I don't think any of these VPNs are really well versed in doing the V6 at all. Most of them, you just want to turn that off. Well, despite the V6 having Mm -hmm. been around for two decades, I think that most of the world is uh, the operating systems and most of the router hardware is generally capable of running V6 and just nobody's transferring over to it because of a lack of need, really. Everybody keeps saying we've we've reached peak IPv4. I don't think we, I, I'm not sure yet. They keep saying we're running out of IP addresses. That's why. That's why. Because they keep, they keep innovating new ways to expand the system. Network address translation was used to expand the number. And then somewhere along the line, people are like, actually, this is a pretty good obfuscation technique. But as Sir Matthew in the chat room was asking about how the VPN things work. No, it isn't on the computer then. If you have your router set up to do the VPN, then all of the encrypting and decrypting is going on on the router level, which is why I use the VPN, but I use them on the computer level. So whatever I'm doing on that particular computer, that's doing the encrypting and decrypting on that level. So it doesn't tax the router, everything else still works on the network exactly as it would if that one computer wasn't using the VPN. So it's nice if you need the VPN only on a single computer in the house, or you don't want to slow everything down just because maybe you're doing illegal downloading. I mean, whatever you're doing that you want the VPN, which is unethical and immoral. And you should never, of course, break the law unless it's a bad law. Of course not. Of right. <laughs> which there are a few of those out there. So, I mean, the VPNs are useful. They will protect you when it comes down to showing your location. But I guess the one thing you would protect if somebody was like targeting your router If everything was going through a VPN, then you're a little bit safer, but that is going a little one step too far. But you mentioned software updates. And the one thing that I saw everywhere. One moment before you segue to compute, I want to, I just have to bitch about smart TVs for a moment. Why is it impossible to get a dumb TV? Well, because they don't make them anymore. Why, Why is it that every... Every single television, like if you need to go out and you want to buy, uh, a 60 inch screen to put in and watch you know sports ball on where you can see the sweat dripping off the face of the quarterback or whatever uh in order to get the the highest quality screens you absolutely have to now get one that also has the ability to connect to netflix automatically and and self-configure itself and you know run it has i, I don't want a smart tv i want a goddamn monitor why are these impossible to get? Because they don't make them. It's for your convenience. Although I'm assuming there are probably websites I out don't there that will show you how to. actually find introducing intentional security holes in my house to be convenient. Maybe they don't get this. Well, you don't. But the people that want the security holes find them to and, be 
very convenient. My, my current TV, the I, which is it's it's a really crappy old model because it's only fifty four inches. Uh, is it technically is a smart TV, but it's at least one of the older ones where in order to connect, um, you had to plug an Ethernet cable in. And let me tell you, that port has never ever seen an ethernet cable and it never will it has seen an hdmi cable which i connect from other things i have the xbox and i have the roku those are the connections to it it's never ever going to connect to the internet but these new ones like the ones where they don't even have an ethernet port anymore they just have wi-fi and you now like the first thing that pops up when you start up the tv for the first time it's like wi-fi settings please enter and you're like no actually i want to watch a fucking football game and they're like no you have to enter in smart tv settings and i'm waiting for pretty soon there's going to be the the smart tvs that don't even bother asking you for the wi-fi settings instead they just come with a library of exploits to the routers and all they're going to do is hack their way into your router in order to get access so that they can download and do whatever nefarious shit the the smart tvs and internet of things in general is going a little overboard with this auto configuration bullshit how about maybe you don't but compromise all my security. Your, if your security is really good, they'll hack into your neighbor's yes. router instead. So that's that's a plus. <laughs> that is a big plus. Uh, JC Jr. in the chat room. This is something we talked about the disconnect like we did on the last episode with OTG about the difference between the talking tubes and the cell phone. And I said there really was none. And you argued and made no good points. Uh, JC Jr. said he was talking to someone who refused to have an Alexa in their home, but had a Samsung smart TV hanging on the wall. So this is. Part of the problem we have with security is people don't understand what devices do what and how things can happen. I mean, I have plugged my TV in to get updates, but it's not a smart TV. This is like the beginning of, you know, this is an old Samsung DLP can, rear can projection. Can I ask why? why you, but unfortunately, these things are shipping with bad why firmware. Did you, why did you need the updates? What, what do you use the updates for? It wouldn't allow something to connect, okay. like the the latest HDMI, uh, whatever okay, it, was, so it was, the a configuration, this, the, uh, okay. yes. Oh yeah. It wasn't just because I'm plugging this in. It was whatever the, uh, whatever the receiver we had at the time. Well, I, I, I wonder sometimes because pretty much every time that I go on the rant against software updates, the, the one straw man that always pops out is, but security updates and uh, at least with a device like a TV, um, I don't need security updates on my TV precisely because I will never plug it into the Internet. Right. Unless there are big gaping holes already. And then, some. well, right. If you're not hooked in, that's still not going to matter. But if you ever have to connect, then yes. If if my TV hacks its way into my router or my neighbor's router and starts displaying fucking ads on on its own then it will have big holes in it. That would be awesome. It just turns no, on in the middle of the night. Are, starts that's what smart TVs are doing these days. They're not just doing it so that they can uh, download new functionality or new HDMI specs. They're doing it so that they can overlay live ads over your TV, whatever you're doing. The fucking guide now has ads in it. The picture in picture has ads in it. They will pop up ads. I, why? I paid for this damn TV. Why am I getting advertisement? Because you want to buy some widgets. Okay. Anyway, before we, we get off the router thing <laughs> entirely, one last thing I guess I would like to mention that that we hadn't another good reason to know how to get into your router and to look at the software and the interface that your router is running, whether it's the provided software or a third party, is the one thing you can see in your router is 
every device connected to the router and there's usually a history so devices that have been connected to that router over the past 24 hours whatever and if you're not checking that list religiously you're always going to find something scary in there yes which is the point of my little tip here is figure out what's on your system and i need to do this again because i've got so much stuff on the network and unfortunately the one place my router is not very strong i guess is maybe it was in the in the firmware update whatever it was because i had gone through one by one seeing what was on because it'll show you both wired and wireless and by mac address i was renaming them so i would know what the device was because more normal people don't know oh that mac address yeah, yeah. that's the camera that's what, pointing out the this, front window what's this cia drone control that's connected to my wi-fi exactly so in that it lost all of the names so i really need to go back and do this one by one again which is unhook everything redo the wi-fi passwords change the wi-fi passwords and put each device on it one by one again so you know what's on your network and what's not and if you're not following that it's not as bad as it was with the old wi-fi standard which was what web um which was fairly easy to crack the wpa standard of the wi-fi is a little bit harder but if somebody wants to spend the time they can hack that especially if they are you know a neighbor somebody like that that can basically it's it's looking for the traffic which is any of your devices connecting to the wi-fi it's looking for the handshake looking for the credentials going back and forth it is possible to be hacked so you want to check and make sure there aren't any devices on your network that you didn't put there especially i mean we're talking personal stuff if you're a business even more so because if somebody can get into your house into your office and they find an open ethernet port somewhere and they can attach a device that's again that's a big security hole that uh, can easily be exploited and you want to be aware of that so that's your router's your friend knowing how to use it that's knowing how to use the vpns if you're trying to protect your location and seeing everything that's on your network that's, that's at why that in, point. The, in the router room you don't leave ethernet holes patched into your router that don't have a device on the other end that yeah the, right, the, random the cables open just hanging in the out wall, literal security <laughs> hole well because you realize a lot of these devices now i mean the regular raspberry Pis might be able to be powered over ethernet but i know the small ones are so they don't even have to have a power thing is if you can get an ethernet port if you can connect one of these little computers these little boards to the network that is uh it, it's it's quite hard to find if you're not looking for it if you don't have an it guy which most small businesses don't somebody sets the stuff up and they go hey right. see you later if you have and a problem as i give heard a on a, a recent episode of the random thoughts podcast which everybody should be listening to even if you're not uh was uh that now apparently you have to be wary of packages that arrive at your house or at your place of business right which was genius like i said i thought that was genius but then i realized all i got to do is send somebody an internet of things light bulb or something like that and that's even easier yeah well that's that's the dancing monkey problem i've described that one before people's everything you know about security everything you know about security goes out the window as soon as some device or software promises to show you dancing monkeys. <laughs> right. Or Anna Can, Kornikova nude. That was a big one back in the day. Yeah. That, that, that was in fact a real thing, um, which, you know, depending <laughs> on the demographic, that might be your dancing monkey. Uh, was that racist? No, no, Not unless you meant it no, to be, but which it doesn't then, matter. And, and you know what? Different I, podcast. I'm, 
I have pale skin and therefore everything I say is racist as far as I'm aware. That that seems to be the new rule. Can we talk about password security for a bit? Yes, because that is a big part of going into. We've talked about the router. We told you you really can't do anything with your modem, but the router is your first line of defense. I think we've talked about that quite a bit. Once we move now into your individual laptop, your individual desktop, passwords become important. Why is that? The very concept of authentication, if I may uh, whip out a little bit of theory, is that you have a a device or software or service or some resource that you want to behave differently for you versus for somebody else. Uh, Usually what that actually means is that you want it to work for you and not work for people who aren't you. in order for that decision to be made by the software, you have to authenticate. You have to, the software has to have some means of determining whether it's you or whether it's somebody else. And why is a password important? Because for the vast majority of, of computerized or, or electronic services or devices that we have, uh, if there's any authentication at all, it's a password. Um, that's, that's about it. If, if you, you know, this, this is not a new thing to computers, you know, back in, in human conflicts immemorial, uh, there has always been, you know, a, a particular passphrase or something. If you say, uh, you know, the, the frogs fly in the wind, then people know you're from Wyoming. Right. You want to set the nukes off. You got to have your codes, man. Exactly. So having, effectively it is authenticating by something that you know and uh that's it is a great first line of defense and it certainly beats the kind of authentication for for most devices which is that the person is in front of it therefore let's assume that's the user uh but it's not always enough so uh you know everybody everybody for the most part is familiar with a password but uh how many people understand what two factor authentication is probably not many but that we talked about that a little bit in the past it's basically a way to make a password not be enough you need a second bit of information you need a second bit of something to re- that tells the system you are who you say you are whether it's something easy like a text message where they're going to send you a code or our bank will, even if you don't have a cell phone and you want them to call you, a computer will call you and give you a four digit code to put in at the number that you had provided to them previously. So it makes you jump through one extra hoop to verify who you are. And there's these little thumb drive looking things that'll do the same thing. Specifically the, the, the main idea behind two factor behind real two factor authentication is that a password can be found out. And it's just information and information is easily copyable. And so if somebody gets that information, they have your password, they can authenticate as you from wherever or whenever. So the basic idea behind two factor is that you, you introduce something from the real world so that a person in India can't just enter your password and make your devices believe that they're you, uh, so with two factor, the idea is something, you know, which is a password and something that you have, which in a lot of cases is a little USB key or, or an authenticator or, or something like that. And that makes it a lot harder to break into your system. Something, obviously none of these celebrities that have their nude photos leaked have understood because if they were to use two factor authentication, 
although a lot of them are dumb and rely on the SMS two-factor authentication, which is the worst, because as we learned in the Random Thoughts, the Simjacker episode. It is superior. SMS two-factor authentication is is about the worst of the two factors, but it is still superior to not using two-factor authentication. Yes, but if you are a target and you're a celebrity, something like that, you probably don't want to use the SMS. Get a YubiKey, get something like, you know, hardware-based well, that... The problem with the cell phone SMS is the fact we've learned it's not that hard. Is that you're putting your security in the hands of your mobile carrier. Yeah, and they don't really care. And I think most of us, <laughs> yeah, they, they don't care or they're actively hostile. Right. And it's not that hard to get your, you know, to have somebody port your phone number to theirs. And all of a sudden, well, now that, that SMS message went to them as well. But yes, two-factor authentication is important. I don't think anybody's really using that on a, as far as logging into your desktop. But that is more when you're logging into banking sites or your email and all of that, which is very good security to do. When it comes to your desktop, let me ask you this. Do you encrypt your whole hard drive on the systems that you're running or do you just encrypt the files you're worried about, you know, sensitive things? I encrypt particularly sensitive things like my password database. I don't worry too much Uh, if if somebody gets access to my hard drive they are free to peruse my unencrypted porn collection <laughs> well yeah i mean the the nightmares and flashbacks they'll get from that is punishment enough i'm sure but that is well it's not porn of me <laughs> oh well not all oh, of it okay well that's different that it might be good stuff but the you know the concept of fully encrypting there's your- probably even a photo of adriana lima in there nice. somewhere i've got one or two of those but it, it's the concept of encrypting your whole system drive for people that are completely paranoid. Yeah. Maybe that sounds good. You know, if you're, if you're one of these guys like Snowden, you know, I get it, but for the average user, I think that is overkill because it is going to cause, you know, a slowdown. It is going to cause your drives to work much harder than they would have to normally. Here's the place where you would consider encrypting your entire drive. Uh, does your computer ever leave your home office or area of control? Uh, the computer that I'm sitting at is a desktop. First of all, the, the case is it's a full tower case, which means it's pretty unwieldy to carry around. Uh, but it doesn't leave my office and I generally have control of my own office. And therefore I'm not terribly worried of, for example, of this computer being seized at the border. However, if I were operating on a laptop, and I were taking that laptop with me all over the place, and I were, say, crossing into Canada with that laptop, hell yes, I would have the hard drive encrypted. Now, when you're sitting at that computer at home, when it when it boots up, you need to put the password in? Um, it, it never boots up. I don't shut down my computer. Okay, if it goes into sleep mode, then does it require the password to wake it up? I do require a password uh, on initial boot. But not on waking from sleep? Because, I mean, you can set it in all types of different ways. And I know it can be a pain in the ass for people to be like, well, well I need my, you know, the password. I'm not going to give away all of my secrets. <laughs> I'm just uh, asking for best practices. I'm not asking for the password. Bemrose one, two, three test. Who told you my password? Um, I believe it was Gritty. Your cats text a lot of information. So if you're not encrypting everything, you want something that'll be able to do individual files, be able to encrypt them easily. Microsoft has their own system to do this what's it called BitLocker or something like that uh i should do research on this but it's microsoft so i don't really trust yeah microsoft has BitLocker, and and when i've needed to do that that you know BitLocker also does uh full disk encryption which again uh was 
pretty much everything that I know about that particular product was uh, through using it at work because believe it or not, it's the the solution that they suggest their employees use. Well, of course, they want you to use the Microsoft because that's where they have the back door, most likely to. Well, actually, the you know it, the main reason why uh, it, it it totally makes sense that Microsoft, for Microsoft's purposes, would want to use Microsoft products, and for a long, long time, uh, it was there was a definite not invented here, which was if you are. If Microsoft didn't write it, you're not allowed to use it. In fact, they would run software audits on all the computers and and like you couldn't install Firefox for a little while. Well, that's kind of why they just blocked CC Cleaner from there and a bunch of other URLs, I guess, from there. Uh, if somebody tries to post them in the Microsoft support forums. Don't don't even get me started on their their URL censorship. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but the the not invented here mostly. I mean that that loosened up over the years, and and by now uh, they've actually. I mean, you know, they're they're generally allowed to use open source software and stuff like that now. So, which would have been unheard of 15 years ago. Uh, but uh, the the main reason for that is it it comes down from legal, which is uh, if if you Darren O'Neill or I Ryan Bemrose goes and installs a copy of say Photoshop that may or may not be fully licensed. Um, the chance of somebody coming after us is low, but if Microsoft is using it, if a large corporation with very deep pockets is found to have even one copy of a pirated software anywhere on there or unauthorized software, there can be some very, very expensive consequences. And, you know, combine that with the fact that there's, there's even, I mean, there, there were software licenses back in the nineties. I don't know if they still exist where the, this license explicitly says, you know, everybody is allowed to use this except for Microsoft. <laughs> uh, I, I have seen that. I mean, the, the more common form nowadays is, is like CC by NC, which basically says you can't use this for commercial purposes, period. And that sort of thing is the kind of thing that you know, at, at a large company, you just can't use. Right. Which it makes sense that people, individuals can use it and then they can suggest it to their company. The open source model definitely works when it comes down to encrypting individual files or even easily encrypting things like a USB thumb drive. And what I've been using is VeraCrypt, which was a fork of TrueCrypt, which I believe we talked about on a previous episode, not sure which one, that it was a case of everybody that was working on TrueCrypt walked away at the same time and went, gotta go. And (laughs) there was some big questions about the if there was a back door in there was a lot of rumors which is nobody's ever came out with the fully 100 percent clarified and verified real answer but the story going around was they believed maybe one of these three-letter agencies came to them and said hey if you're going to continue doing this we need a back door they said screw you and walked away in the field of security like that generally the only way that you're going to get an official answer is if something happens that you really any situation that causes you to get an official answer as to whether or not something has been compromised by the NSA requires an incident that you already don't want to be involved in right. like being hacked by the NSA right so these guys walking away <laughs> said okay there might be something a little nefarious going on here but the code continued on that's the great thing about open source software that TrueCrypt became VeraCrypt and has gone through some audits and everything appears to be 
A-OK, and it's software that you can download online. You can just do your DuckDuckGo search or Bing it, whatever you want to do. Looking for VeraCrypt, V-E-R-A, Crypt. Bing you, Darren. (laughs) And then, you know, this is a fairly easy thing. I mean, you have to go through the directions and make sure you don't, you know, accidentally format your C drive. But, you know, if you can follow directions, easy enough to try this uh, in a couple different ways. One, it's pretty easy to do a whole USB drive, which is very convenient if you're, you know, doing banking records or anything like that. And you want this on a thumb drive that if you can carry it wherever you're going, you don't have to worry if you lose that drive that it's going to be, uh, your data is not going to be found out. And the only thing you have to watch out for with Veracrypt when you're doing an entire USB drive is every time you plug it back into Windows, or I'm assuming Linux or the Apple system. It's going to want to format it. Right. It's going to go, well, there's nothing yep. here, but, yep. which is good and bad. That's, you know, yeah, Windows. <laughs> What do you want to do with this device I just detected? Well, how about for starters, you don't pop up a goddamn system modal dialogue right on top of what I'm doing. Can you do that? Okay, thanks. Bye. Well, you could set it not to do that, but that is, you know, an option. And most people don't have (laughs) that. And you'd have to go in and play around. Lots of you can set lots of things in Windows that immediately get reversed the very next time you take a system update. Yes. (laughs) Right. It wants to change those settings. Uh, whether you, it's for your convenience, though, they're assuring yes, you yes. it's for your Microsoft, convenience. Microsoft undoes your settings and sets them back to default for your convenience all the time. The easiest <laughs> way, though, I guess, to play with the VeraCrypt and get an idea of how this works is you can create a file with any name you want, any extension you want, and it will just tell it what size you want. And this basically becomes an encrypted drive. This becomes an encrypted partition. So if you create a file that's, uh, you know, just name it, you know, bemrose.jpg or uh, bemrose.wav, whatever you want to name it, you yeah. don't even need an extension. It will create a file that will just sit there, look like every other file, which is the nice thing about this. So if you're looking to you know, encrypt, you know, text files, things like that, they're a lot easier to get away with. You can take that file and until you go into Veracrypt and choose that file and say, you know, unencrypt and give it the password, or you can also have two factor and all these other things. But once you give it what it needs, it will then mount that as a separate hard drive and it will act like a normal hard drive until you dismount it. And then it'll go back to just looking like a file that if anybody else clicks on it, it'll be like broken. Not for nothing here. My favorite though is that you can call it bemrose.jpg and you can actually put data in it will put in a jpeg header and data so that if you double click on it it looks like a picture right so it really is a nice way to get uh, things hidden and you can also if you're really into the you know somebody might one day hold a gun to your head and they know you have something like encrypted hard, hard drive full of random data and be like man bemrose sure looks ugly today <laughs> oh. well you can hide a file within the file so you can hide a partition within the encrypted partition so i mean it's very james bondish so it's in the directions are great too because it's like well if you're ever in a situation where somebody could force you to unencrypt this main file well then you can have another one hidden inside that there's no way they can know about it so that is kind of like you have to go in unencrypted get into that drive and then there's another encrypted drive inside of that or partition well and uh, I mean, TrueCrypt had had the feature years ago that I'm pretty sure is still in Veracrypt, which is you can do a full drive encryption where if you enter 
the right password, it gives you all of your data. But if you enter a secondary alternate password, it gives you completely different data that might look like, you know, something, you know, just some vacation pictures or something. So the idea being if somebody at the, say at the border or, or in any other place where you, you don't have any constitutional protections, which is anywhere there are cops, um, they can demand at the point of a gun that you decrypt your data and then you can show them this pristine, completely innocent thing. and in theory, they're fooled because they won't realize that you gave the other password. Well, and everybody should be fooled unless they really know something else is there. And when, when it comes down to that, I don't know how anybody well, they, would know. They that. have to. The, the only way that they would know that something else is there is if they have some independent reason for suspecting that you are involved in a crime. And that's called probable cause. And that is what they should have before that they conduct their illegal search anyway and if they don't have probable cause they will probably be fooled and therefore you can get out of the illegal search that that happened without probable cause and therefore uh you know go on your way without with minimum hassle right if they have probable cause they're probably going to detain you and then no matter what what else you do you know whatever technological measures you set up eventually that it's going to give in to rubber hose cryptography. Right. But that, crypt analysis. Definitely check out Veracrypt for th- I mean again, if you have say a Bitcoin wallet and you got the and you know that we finished yet another native ad. <laughs> the passwords that you need or something like that. I mean, this is where you want to put your data to make it safe. It's also a great way to um not the full drive, but when you're doing it as within a file, it's a great way to share files over the internet securely because again you could take bemrose.wav we could throw all your banking information in there your social security number all of your pictures of your cats in there and you can encrypt and then, it and then send it and over then, the and, internet and then nobody yeah, can and then get you, that you put you put like a sinatra track on top of it and then nobody wants anything to do with a file Sinatra's awesome i mean i know since it's weird to say this so, but since the show started i was doing a little housework listening to some Frank Sinatra LP. I mean, granted, we had a, a few issues during this show and uh, we had a disconnect. We had a chimney sweep, but you don't know that because this has all been edited and this just seems like we've been doing this show. Well, they in wouldn't one know that if you weren't telling them. I know, but this is inside baseball. We're kind of letting them in and you're, you're trashing Sinatra. I don't so like the one that. Thing I got to know is yeah. uh, whatever it is that Veracrypt was paying us for that native ad. I, I think we should double it. Well, that's since it's free software and open source, they don't pay anything. And I think we should double that. In fact, triple I, it. Oh, hold out. <laughs> I, I'm going for, don't be greedy. <laughs> I'm going for 10 times that amount. Zero. But it's good okay. software. And it's something that I think everybody should be aware of for just basic things that you don't want to fall into the wrong hands when it comes to files that are on your computer. Uh, okay. So the files on the computer. Um, you know, I, I already described to you why I don't generally encrypt my hard drive. And that is that my physical security is, uh, I, I don't, I don't encrypt my entire hard drive because, uh, my hard drive doesn't leave this house. And this house is protected by, uh, what I call 12 gauge encryption. <laughs> um, however, double barrel, uh, <laughs> no, no single it's, it's actually, it's a, uh, you know what? I'm not going to admit to having any weapons in this house because then anyways um what about encrypting things in transit which is actually uh, a much bigger deal than encrypting them on your hard drive uh uh do you t- do you go in for say email encryption 
I don't, but it all depends what you're sending. For instance, Hillary Clinton would have done a much better job of things if she would have used encrypted emails because better for whom? Well, for her, I found it to be terribly entertaining (laughs) that it wasn't encrypted that it was that it was. I mean, if you're sending an email to somebody that's like, hey, we're meeting up at the bar tonight. Well, then you probably don't need to encrypt it. But anything with unless you know for sure that you're being stalked that's true that is that is very true if you're being stalked and somebody can follow your email and they've hacked into your system the concept of encrypted email is something that years ago i mean again we're the old guys we're talking about hey way back when we thought this well, was going to be something that was I mean, going we're, to be we're fixed. already in old guy territory because nobody uses email anymore but go on right so why are you even asking about it everybody else is using these you know telegram and all whatever well, these other messaging apps are which um probably aren't as safe as they think they are well any anything that is a closed protocol and controlled entirely by one company or organization is not going to be as safe as they should be i mean email used to be known as basically being snowden right well even snowden recommends uh you know wire or signal protocol which are open right which is something we did the otg episode and like the next morning snowden went on a twitter rant saying just about everything we said in the otg episode so i wonder i I assume that's because he listened yeah it could be yeah this could the grumpy old ben's might be edward snowden's number one podcast i mean we're not sure in fact we know it is it's in the Mueller report we're waiting on confirmation from other sources (laughs) but i mean if Mueller says it it certainly has to be true but emails come a long way from when we basically thought of it as a postcard which was everything in the email from point a to point b every stop in between was going to be able to be read the encryption technology has gotten better and there's things between point a and point b um that will encrypt and you won't see that but once it gets to the other person's mailbox that has to be unencrypted for them to read it we thought going back like 10 years or so we thought this was going to be something simple which all email that, that programs would be included into all the clients yeah. right that this would be you'd have your public key and your private key and what would just happen would be this would happen seamlessly and it never did which is it's it's odd to me is this just because the big tech companies didn't want this to happen why do you ever thought any thoughts on why this never came around with encrypted email well are you looking for cynical thoughts or you're looking for reason <laughs> analysis here i'm not sure uh, Only one of those reasons, I think, is why people come to Grumpy Old Ben's. Right, which I think is probably the truth of this case, which would be, I think, the cynical reason, because otherwise, I don't know why the, this. The, the cynical reason is that the reason that email never got any particular love from the people making it is it is an open protocol that nobody is making any money off of. And therefore, uh, companies who may or may not have had a client um, they want to, you know, it, it actually starts pretty simply with an engineer is like, well, email has these deficiencies and these things that are wrong with it. And, uh, we'd like to fix that, but we can't change the major general protocol. Um, therefore, uh, let's go ahead and invent our new protocol for communicating and every single company would invent their new protocol and then you know marketing and middle managers and and upper management would get a hold of it and say yes we totally should invent this because that way we can control it we can sell ads on it we can charge people for it and we can make sure that only the authorized people do it and then when you lock it down and you laden it with ads then uh it it no it's not it, it loses everything that email had which is 
being open and available. And well, if you were going to ask me in general, I, I don't want to use any protocol that I can't write a client for. And if you're going to ask me if I have to send a text message, you know, a message, not a text message, if I have to send an email containing yeah. just information and containing just text, if I wanted to make sure this was secure between point A and point B, I really do believe I'd go into Notepad plus plus and of course not regular notepad i'd go into that i would type out the message i would save it as a text file i would encrypt it in some way shape or form whether that is you know using the veracrypt or sure you know for things that weren't completely you know state sensitive in that i might just put it into a zip file or an rar file with a password 13 right and i think that would be perfectly fine but then the person on the other end has to know how to unpack that if you're if you're uh james bond you're you're sir ryan bemrose you're a spy you're dropped behind enemy lines you need to get a message away all my secrets now you need to get a message home what service do you go to if you have to get a secure message from point a to point b what do you use um courier (laughs) so you go you take the you basically get rid of all technology no no technology is problematic um I mean, there are ways of getting uh, encrypted files. I mean, to be honest, it, it it's not something that happens to me very often. Um, I I haven't recently been a secret agent that you know of. Um, it would explain a lot of things it, it, uh, that you know of. Uh, so I don't know. I I mean, like I said, there are um, in encrypted protocols. Signal is a pretty good one, but I haven't dug very far into that. Uh, you know, in, encrypting a file and then transferring it via just about any method that you know can reliably deliver. Because once you've encrypted it, you're you're not going to get the man in the middle. Um, and yes, theoretically, the person that you've sent it to needs to have a means of opening it. But hopefully, you've set that up in advance, right? Which makes it pretty safe. Which is why people do backups and throw them on things like Usenet and that. Because once it's encrypted more or less you can throw whatever you want out there if somebody doesn't have the way to unencrypt it to be honest i don't feel like grumpy old ben's is the right resource for secret agents to be going and and (laughs) determining their opsec no but i was just Uh, asking that question you know joe who was listening to the show it's like i really need to get a message to somebody and and it has to be private i'm not convinced that i I, i'm not convinced that joe uh well i'll just post it on their facebook while nobody else will see that (laughs) nope no or posted in Twitter. Nobody reads that shit. Right. Nobody reads your Twitter <laughs> DMs. No. Go to the list of things they think you're interested in, and then you'll realize how much stuff they're reading. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> not good at all. Uh, but I think that kind of covers the fact that, you know, email, not 100% secure. There are places like Proton Mail. We've talked about them before who yeah. claim that everything is encrypted on their server. So I've, if you're I've not heard, logged in, I've nobody heard can great see it. things about proton mail. I'm not personally entirely sold for the simple fact that, like I said, uh, I can't write a client for it. Um, and if, if they control it, it's, you know, it's clearly, it's not email. It's not open. Uh, it is a closed source, uh, protocol controlled by one company. And I honestly don't think that, they are doing anything nefarious and they certainly have a lot of thumbs up from a lot of people out in the tech world. Uh, but what they, I mean, you know, I used to really like Winamp 
and then it got bought out by AOL. It I used really to really like the llama's M- ass. I used to really like MIRC, and then it got bought out by some Chinese company. You know, at some point, when what if Proton Mail gets sold to someone who does start doing that? There is no technological impediment to that. Um, I I would really rather that you have open source and open protocol, which means you have to do it on your own end, which means it's a bigger pain in the ass, which means no, nobody will do somebody it. Somebody right? can totally make a solution to it. It it tends not to be quite as turnkey because if if it's open, then you're not selling it, and if you're not selling it, you're not going to put in as much effort to polish it and make it available for retards. Well, but, I think most people don't use normal email clients anymore either i think most people are on webmail whether it's well, i think i think gmail. most people are on gmail let's just admit that because it's cheap free right of course you're the data yes because you're paying with you which is why proton mail they're smart i mean they offer it free but rather than like 20 gigs of storage i think they give you like 500 meg which is i mean just you enough. are you are more secure using the email address provided you by your isp or or go out and get a a cheap $10 a month hosting package for a website and you can put up pictures of your kids and they will give you email. Email is not hard to get and that's going to be better. It's going to be safer than Gmail and it's going to be easier to set up than, you know, what, what I have of course is my own email server. Uh, But I I don't expect in in another category of, of don't do what Sir Bemrose does because I'm crazy. Well, the um, other thing about Sir Bemrose, the question would be if, looking up what the security experts out there recommend in keeping your computer safe. The number one from everybody is do updates all the time. And I know this is something that you really enjoy doing, doing updates to not uh, only your operating system, but to each well, one of your apps. I don't have to worry about updates all the time because the software developers are pushing updates all the time. They're also not really giving anybody a choice, which is the interesting part about a lot of this stuff. You know, the thing is the the rationale for everybody saying you always have to take updates, make sure you're updated, which frankly, by the way, is some pretty good fucking advice is in, in general, if you don't want to, if you don't want managing your own computer to be a full-time job, then keep it updated. That is official advice. It's good advice. Uh, the, the reason why, you know, again, don't do what Sir Bemrose does. I defer updates and I have actually taken technological means to prevent my system from automatically updating and rebooting myself. Now, um, this is terrible. This do not do this. This does not work for you. And the reason this doesn't work for you or, you know, anybody listening to the sound of my voice is that you are probably not going to do what I do, which is review all of the knowledge base articles, review all of the vulnerability <laughs> reports and review all the security bulletins from Microsoft, from Firefox, Mozilla. You know, I, you are probably not going to take the time to evaluate the threat of each and every vulnerability as it's discovered. And I, I wish. Again, the rationale for you should always update is because there are security updates and you need the security updates. I wish that software developers would separate the feature updates, the bug fix updates, and the security updates. Microsoft is starting that. I saw that the other day. You need. They're moving to that. You need the security updates. Yeah. Microsoft is actually moving to that, which is good. But I think the you bigger usually, problem, though, is all these other companies, they're not. So what do you do 
with all these other programs that you use? And do you have any recommendations rather than opening up every program like once a week or once a month going, check for updates, check for updates. I know there are ways to automate this and there's some software that will well, do most, it. And some people love it. Most and some programs hate it. check every time you launch it. And then, you know, which is, which is of course the worst possible time because they don't, <laughs> no matter what the software is, the, you know, when, when you think about when, when is the best time to update, it's when the user is not trying to use it. So you don't inconvenience them. But when you check for updates on launch and try to update, then that is the worst possible time because it's the only time that you are absolutely certain you can be sure that the user wants your software to be available and you're updating during that time. Fuck you, Xbox. Not, not convenient. Definitely not convenient. Uh, and what I mean, I've noticed even with my video card drivers, which again, I know there are reasons to update and not to, but with most of these things, unfortunately, as Windows moves forward and Windows makes changes, the drivers for your video card for these basic system you know, devices, a lot of times have to keep up to keep everything working. And I've noticed that doesn't prompt me when there's a new driver. There's a lot of software that that doesn't. I mean, I know a lot of it does. I mean, when it comes to Firefox, like you said, every time you what, turn it what on. What do you mean by keep working? Well, not give you a blue screen, you know, not die in the middle of a show, something well, like that. That sounds like a, I mean, that sounds like a bug fix. And it may be. But the question is, how do you make sure all if, of your software if, is if, uploaded if not, and updated? If it's not buggy, believe it or not, uh, software technically doesn't rot. It doesn't spoil it doesn't get worse with age. What happens is it becomes obsolete and other things change around it. Well, people uh, have tried to know, tell us windows goes through like, you know, bit rot. You want to reinstall windows every year because otherwise your system will stop. If you don't use it, it doesn't. Uh, if you're not constantly installing and uninstalling software, all of which is a, a lossy process that leaves artifacts all over your drive. You, you don't, um, if you're not constant, basically, uh, the reason why windows gets quote unquote bit rot is because there are processes that don't fix themselves and they leave detritus in your system directory, in your registry, in your programs folder. Um, if, if you're just using the same program in and out, in and out, like go see, uh, I was at the hospital the other day. They had, uh, some piece of diagnostic equipment that had a windows XP front end <laughs> and i was like is this thing ever 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 connected to the internet no okay you know what then it's probably fine because it's only ever run the custom software that came with it you're not installing things you're not uninstalling things you're not uh you know constantly screwing with the registry and you're not connecting it to the internet okay a lot safer but are there any well, tips to make sure everything i mean we i think we're covering the fact even though you don't do it yourself Windows updates, very important for people to have, at least until they separate the security updates from the functionality updates. Security and updates then, the in security Windows updates are important. Vital. No, no question yeah. about it, because that's the first place you're going to get hit is with the operating system. Of course, you have things like Flash, and which I know is going away, but just as an example, Flash in JavaScript, things that a lot of people use. Really, it's another thing that doesn't always pop up like hey, there's a new version of Flash. We're automatically doing that. A lot of times you have to go and search for these updates. So I'm just kind of asking if there's a simple way to make sure everything is maintained properly, to make sure your system is completely up to date 
if nope. any of these one click things actually is a good thing, I forget it's like Sakunia, there's something called that, right? That uh you go it goes through and it looks at all the software you use and it looks to see if you have the latest version and tells you if you don't. I don't think it automatically updates them. I mean, maybe it does if you pay, but otherwise it checks. So on on a Windows system? Yes. No, not really. Um for the most part, Windows ecosystem, every piece of software is on their own for doing updates. Now the good thing is that just about every piece of software out there uh, now automatically checks for updates on its own. Um, the story is a little bit better if you're on, say, uh, like Ubuntu or a Linux system, um, where pretty close to everything you have was installed. Like if you were using the built-in software manager on on Linux, like apt-get or something, yes. um, you can run one command and it will check that for you. It's a pretty excellent system. Uh, you know, obviously if you've downloaded something from source and built it yourself, then, you know, that one's not going to have that. I have no idea how it works on Mac. As far as I'm aware, uh, the method of updating software on Mac is that a new version of a driver comes out and you have to throw your Mac away and buy a new one. And no, they, they have a software, they have a, it's kind of similar to be honest with, um, the Linux system because everything comes out of almost now with Apple one repository so it just goes and checks for updates for everything and will update what you need to because i don't i don't know if they even allow you to do third-party stuff i've been out of the apple ecosystem for a few years to where it used to be when i left you could still go to a website you know if we wrote a program for mac you could still go to our website buy it and install it i don't know if you could even do that anymore i think they really moved to more of a closed down system which is exactly what they do with the iphones and with the iPads, everything has to get Apple's blessing if you want it to run. Otherwise, you're jumping through hoops. And then, of course, even if it is a completely secure piece of software, Apple's going to tell you insecure, insecure. You don't want to do that. But yeah, I'm not really I'm not really up on the Apple things either. I I remember how things worked on uh, the Apple IIe back in grade school. Oh, when you used um, to play that game, what was it? The Oregon Trail. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Oregon Trail was a big one. The other one was uh, the thing with the turtle, which you were like, turn left 60 degrees, now go forward. Uh, Algo? No, Logo. And then all we wanted to do was play like Missile Command or Asteroids on it. I I fucking cracked into the basic interpreter and started programming shit. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Bembrose sitting there, they're like, are you playing Oregon Trail? No, I'm about to launch. No, I I actually got in trouble for writing my own software on some of the school computers. Subversive. (laughs) It's well, I, I I also, I also managed to uh, take down my university's email server and uh, block email for 40,000 students. For a day and a half, um, when I uh, accidentally fork bombed the email server. Yeah, accidentally. Uh, there, there, this is probably before the time that everything was news because that would have been a good one to post an article for, but no. The one other bit of security that uh, I want to get into is uh, in the browser, at least on the desktop. That's, that's the big place where everybody spends most of their time these days. Uh, what kind of, of security provisions would you try want to make sure if you're in a browser well there are certain things i think you'd like to block which a lot of them are doing this by default now like the web rtc which it really it's put into place to do things like we're doing right here the voice over ip where you can connect to a website and it can access things like your microphone and your camera 
Well, there are times you don't want that kind of stuff accessed. So I think that's something that in the browser, if it doesn't block that by default, which I believe Firefox is not yeah. one of those. I'm, the- I'm actually, uh, Firefox does block WebRTC by default as of a couple versions ago. I've been pretty happy with, with the way Firefox has been becoming more secure out of the box. Once, once they realize people kind of care about security and it's one of the few places that they can finally differentiate themselves from Chrome is like, yeah, we're not a company that makes all of its money by selling you to advertisers. Well, then Chrome has had so many different forks off of it with the dissenter browser, with the brave browser, which is taking the Chrome engine and adding some security things. And well, a lot of it is taking out the Google phone home things. But I mean, this kind of leads you into with the browser, I guess this is kind of going to intersect a little bit with the question of antivirus software and whether you think this is necessary for Windows machines, which is, it's, it's an interesting thing. I saw the other day, it's the first time I saw somebody on like one of the more major tech sites, like, well, you know, the Windows Defender and the built in stuff has gotten good enough where maybe you don't need to purchase an antivirus software, which I just kind of cringed at that again, maybe because I'm old, maybe because I remember yeah. how bad this has been in the past. It, it it was bad. It was, it was a terrible for Vista. It was bad and insufficient for windows seven, uh, for windows eight, it started to be okay. Um, and by windows 10. Yeah. My position is also that the the built-in antivirus with my the built-in antivirus with all of the default settings is actually good enough on windows interesting because i'm still a guy i like bitdefender and i've tried other ones he said is pretty decent kaspersky again i know this goes down to you have to trust the people putting these things out because this is a very low level access to your system but as we were mentioning talking about the browser browser the Bitdefender software has just way too many things, I think, for the average user, perhaps if you're not willing to go through every page of their settings and seeing what their software can and cannot access and can and cannot do. But I like the fact that built into their software, you had things like protections for the browser, which is if a website, let's just say, you know, bemrose.us was a malware site well if this was already notified and the people have already not 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 that anybody has demonstrated i'm not on any lists yet (laughs) but if it was bitdefender would anytime any browser you try to go to that would be like hey we've noticed this has been reported as a bad site click here if you want to go to it but we're at least giving you a warning and i appreciate that the fact that chrome does the same thing and it's really really annoying when there's a false positive well it is (laughs) i mean i know the no agenda show page was hit with one of those at one point with Bitdefender, but it, it's yeah. a way to or when when the microsoft internal firewall that was designed to prevent you from going to porn sites at work managed to block dvorak uncensored <laughs> well it's uncensored you never know yeah, what you're going to d- see dvorak.org there. was blocked because it was called dvorak uncensored but the intriguing thing and i know windows it just start doing this as well it, it, i think there's a setting now showing you what do, what programs are accessing your microphone. This is something that was built into the Bitdefender software. So, I mean, when you talk about antivirus software, it's gotten much more of a wide berth than it originally did, which was if it you downloaded a virus. 
it would step in. Now there it's doing things, whether for better yeah. or for worse, it's blocking access to your webcam, which I don't worry about that. Cause when I'm not using my webcam on my desktop here, I unplug no, it. I, I have a piece of tape blocking access to my webcam, which you have to do if it's on a laptop that's always yeah. plugged in. Cause you don't know. I mean, you can't take the camera out. So oh, yeah, yeah. The, the webcam on my desktop is even more secure. You know, it's even more secure than yours. You say you unplug it. I don't even own one. That is really secure. <laughs> you are you are so secure when it comes to that. But that's where I appreciate things like Bitdefender because it can also monitor if if devices are trying to or programs are trying to access your devices. So whether it's your microphone, whether it's your camera, and it will also do you know anti malware, anti spam, and it's trying to do one thing, you know, one program to do all things, which I appreciate more, I guess, than going to a bunch of different um applications if, to do if it. If you are the if you are the kind of person who really, really likes the the readouts and the knobs and the dials and the controls, then then yes, it's I mean, Bit Defender is a pretty good one. Uh but the simple fact is uh if you are the kind of person who really doesn't want to think like if you are the kind of person for whom your computer is an appliance, you don't want to have to think about it. Obviously, you're not a you're not a Ben. So this advice is not necessarily for the Ben's the dude's name Ben out there. Um, but if you are the kind of person that just wants to treat your computer as an appliance, you don't have any need for third party antivirus. The Microsoft stuff out of the box with default settings will be good enough. It's a little paternalistic. It it kind of nannies you and it kind of will, it'll do things like quarantine files that may or may not be problematic. Um, but for 95% of people out there, it's going to be everything you ever need. You just let it run. You let windows uh, update do its thing and you'll be pretty safe. The one thing I do like without going into a complete and native ad for Bitdefender. When- and also, by the way, I, I, I'm not, I'm not putting Bitdefender in this category. But the vast majority of antivirus out there is actually malware. Yeah, I don't, it's kind of like a VPN. If it's free, you probably might want to might want to think twice about it. I know these yeah. big companies or sometimes if have. Or a, if it's McAfee, then it's malware. <laughs> it's not going to be good. Um, the one thing I will recommend, if you have, you know, although I was going to say non techie kids, that probably never happens. But if you have parents. Like I do. Oh, and if it's Norton, it's also malware. Oh, go on. <laughs> Norton used to be horror for a while. I remember I, I'm, I, I've gone through the whole Norton life cycle. Was fantastic with Norton. in 1995. And, right. It was great. And then it sucked. And then it kind of started coming back and not sucking as bad as it did. But with the Bitdefender thing, I found it. You could fairly cheaply get a license to do what the one we have is 10 devices. And I run that on my parents' machine. And if they have viruses and stuff, my control panel will show because every computer that I install this software on under my license will send, yeah. like you said, the logs of the pretty thing. So if you have kids or parents, it's a security suite for for a dude named Ben, where you are expected to manage someone else's computer. Yes, it makes it a lot That's, easier when they go. It's a good feature, right? Why isn't this working? Well, you could go. Okay, let me just look. Let me see what you screwed up. Oh, you click the Kornikova link. Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't ever do that again. Don't ever click a link that comes in an email. Don't ever follow a link that comes in an email. I think we've talked about that before, but I guess that's also uh, worthy of bringing up again. You, you know, yeah, things well, can be faked. And yeah. Here's a hint. If it came from the internet, you should be at least a little bit suspect. And before we get off the antivirus thing entirely, you run an Android phone. Do you run an, uh, antivirus on your phone? I do not. 
I do. Well, I, I, I do, but it's the whatever came with the Samsung. Do they have an antivirus that comes with the Samsung? I didn't remember seeing one. I know we, I installed I know the Samsung. I know the Samsung OS is a virus, so that's, <laughs> that might be the way to go. So it might not be an antivirus as much as a complete and utter virus. Um, the, the, it, maybe I should, but the fact is I don't run, uh, I don't run an antivirus on my phone. And part of my justification for that is that I run almost nothing on my phone. Which is good because if you're, that's the only place you're going to get stuff that's going to, um, affect your phone in a negative way pretty much is downloading the wrong app. And I do like the fact that Bitdefender, when you download a new app or any antivirus, I would believe that's good for the phone will do the same thing and hopefully catch if there is malware, but it may catch that before the play store does. Cause it seems like they've been doing a really bad job of blocking this stuff when it's been uploaded to the play store lately. And that's, I mean, I guess another good Ben advice here is if you're going to download an app stick, uh, stick far, far away from companies you're not aware of, you know, brand new little things. I mean, how many of the flashlight apps (laughs) or yeah, and uh, stay away from companies that are uh, known for producing malware like Google. Well, stay away from unknown companies that you've never heard of. I mean, if you're downloading something. Try to get it from a legitimate source. A lot of times there's a bunch. Let's just say oh, all of these uh, things what, where they want to put these. Well, you want to put like the pretty filters and stuff on a photo. You know what? You're better off, even though you're giving up all of your own data through the, you know, putting Instagram on your phone. It's much better than downloading, you know, uh, JoJo's uh, photo bomb and you install that. And besides taking your photo. Uh, it's getting your banking information and sending that to China or to the wherever, you know, Russia, all these places that like to grab this kind of data. So, I mean, yeah, I, as, sadly, as a, Instagram safer than you as know, opposed to sending all your private data to Cupertino or Mountain View. Right. But I don't yeah. think they're stealing your banking records quite yet to get into your banking. account. <laughs> you, yet. you don't think so yet. No, I don't <laughs> think I don't think uh, Zuckerberg needs my bank account. You know, but Jojo over in Russia maybe wants to get that $300 that, that's sitting in the big account. You know, I mean, who knows? It's, it's much more likely, though, if you're going to suck st- knows, suck knows everything. They may know what's in there, but they're not accessing so, and stealing. it. I guess I guess the reason why I'm I'm not as worried about security on my phone and maybe I mean, maybe I should be and maybe I'm completely naive again. You know, nothing that I say that I do is is at all endorsed as things that anyone else should do in the world. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, phones, I don't think are as big a security risk for most consumers for the simple fact that it's a walled garden. Now, uh, there, there have been some real problems with the play store, uh, the Apple store to a much lesser extent, but the Google one for sure, where, uh, malware gets in and looks like apps in the store. Um, you, you right. used to be able to say, well, if it came from the store, they vetted it and it's good, but I don't think that's true anymore. Um, but if you, if you keep your phone up to date and you don't install apps, or if you have to install apps, only do them from, uh, a reputable source. And I'm not going to say that the only reputable sources are the big companies. For one thing, I'm not convinced they're reputable, but, um, if you do the right research, you can usually determine if somebody is 
is somebody who's been around for a long time like do they have a web presence do they have uh you know a, a lot of uh, other sources people talking about them on social media though know, that sort of thing tends to be like if they're just the only place you've ever seen them is in the store then yeah it's a little scary uh, or but, if their name is similar to something i think ublock origin was hit with one of these that was named something slightly different i mean look well, for how many downloads there are so no, well, what happened a- was the the person who uh ublock was created by two people one was an engineer and one was a scammer and the scammer took the name and may put out ublock and the engineer is like no no this isn't what i wanted because now you're harvesting people's data so he put out ublock origin so if you're looking for uh, uh by the way an, an ad blocker that's another recommendation i definitely have for a browser but if you're looking for an ad blocker um i i can't run a browser without installing an ad blocker of some kind and ublock origin is my go-to and also the pie hole which we talked about on a previous episode that's also a, not necessarily a browser issue but yeah. it blocks everything on your network at a much lower level and that's something to look into for well, the, the pie hole is is a much more complete blocking because it takes it will block all traffic to a particular domain period no matter what uh which is really powerful in fact my pie hole i have uh you know i've downloaded a list of all domains owned by google and a list of all domains owned by facebook and those are blocked at the pie hole I am nothing, no matter what any software in my system wants to do, whether it be the browser or uh, a virus or anything, they cannot connect to one of those domains because it just will return fail. Uh, that's what the pie hole does for me. Again, um, I'm a little crazy. Some people think that Facebook is worth visiting and uh, I'm not going to say you're wrong, even though you are. But uh, yeah, the pie hole is good for that. But an ad blocker has the benefit that you can also block uh, only specific things. Like there's a lot of domains that serve their own ads and you can still block the ads from the domain without blocking all of the content as well. Right. Gives you much more granular control, which is a good thing, which yeah, yeah. I've always run an ad blocker with the browser. And then I run, of course, my uh, robo form, which is my password manager of choice. I think you use what last pass or um, I use key pass now. Key pass. Yes. And that's the open source one, right? That's the open source one that lets you have a local database. Uh, because I have my Debian server, which I use for syncing. That way I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, most of them uh, will graciously offer to host your password database on their own servers somewhere in the cloud, uh, which no matter how, even if you believe them, even if you are certain that they are completely on your side, even if you're certain that they would never, or that their security is perfect and they will not get hacked, um, the, the state of the law in the United States is such that uh, you cannot be compelled to give up your own. You're protected by the Fourth Amendment if you own your own data on your own server. But they have decided that the Fourth Amendment does not apply if your data is hosted on a third-party server. Um, it's it's why, for example, um, if you have email in Gmail, or, or I guess the the case that decided this was about ten years ago, it was with Yahoo Mail. Um, those emails can be the law enforcement doesn't even have to tell you that they've collected those emails and they've subpoenaed it from your ISP and have gone through all of it. 
without you even knowing. Um, but if it's, if it's on a server you own, then they can't take that without the fourth amendment and being involved. Well, but let's be honest. Most people are not going to want to run their own server and run their own thing. For no, that was their the password. theme of today's show. <laughs> Dude, don't do his that, memories. That's I'm what Primrose is saying is really totally secure. And I get it. And it's something that if you have a server, know how to run servers and how to set up all of this software on your own, definitely do that. If you want a much simpler system, which is what I did. And I've been with RoboForm for 10 years or more. And there are other companies that do this. You, the, what you, the main thing I think you want to look for if you are doing a third-party password manager is, is it encrypted on your end? And I know yes. they do audits and everything. So if it's encrypted on your end, they can't yes. get your password. Then, then, then you are storing your password database there. But even if somebody manages to get a hold of it without your master unlock password, they're not going to be able to get at it. Right. And that's what most people throwing, would want to do. At least not without throwing a bunch of very powerful NSA computers in which uh, allegedly don't exist. Right. And, you know, if you're a target in that way, then you have different things to worry about. That I mean, yes. there's a different thing from, you know, we're worried as far as just the world as a whole where nobody's actually targeting. Well, no government agencies are targeting you. I mean, you want to be safe from, you know, maybe somebody you pissed off. The advice we're giving is going to do that. I think some of the advice we're giving today, if, like you said, if the NSA was looking for you, I mean, then um, you may be screwed because well, you- I think I think the, the advice that we're giving today is is general information that is not tailored for anyone in particular and probably shouldn't be followed because uh, <laughs> we're a little bit crazy and also sometimes misinformed, but at least we strive to be entertaining. Uh, I had one last security thing. Uh, I plan idea uh that i'd like to at least bounce off of you and get your opinion on okay https you know it's something that i understand is vital when you're sending passwords back and forth it's something that's vital when you're doing things like banking information so when i go to my bank and i log into my account i want https to be there because i don't want that information to be intercepted between point a and point b but when I go to my favorite restaurant's website to see what the specials are, I don't freaking need HTTPS. And I understand that we're at the point now to where the extra um, computing power needed to encrypt the stuff is not really slowing anything down. Although, you know, if you're worried about global warming, every little bit of that computing power is causing global warming and we're all going to die in like seven years that, uh, you know, HTTPS, maybe we well, should. Well, nope. No, no fair bringing in the end of the world now. <laughs> it's always fair game. AOC told me. So uh, my, I'm not going to, I don't think we should spend too much time on this because uh, frankly, if you want to, uh, if you want a really good discussion of HTTPS, go, go listen to grumpy old men's number 13. Brendan with Kidwell. Brendan Kidwell. Yeah. Our good friend Progo. Uh, he said it better than anybody. Um, the, the biggest problem with, you know, I, I, it, when making the notes for this, the things that we've been talking about, what I did was I went and, and looked at a bunch of things that basically said, what can you do to secure yourself online? And I ended up reading a, you know, a CNET article and a, a, you know, a bunch of how-to articles. Fine. But it was funny just how many of those, the very top number one thing is they like, make sure that everything you do everywhere is HTTPS, which is totally overkill. You're right. Uh, it, it's damn important for your bank it's it's important when you are 
logging into somewhere and you need to, you, you need to make sure that your ISP is not tracking your, something you do. Um, it, it might even be important if you're being throttled, but HTTPS only protects against man in the middle attacks, which means that it, the only credible threat that HTTPS protects against is your ISP reading your data packets. So if you are having your web content filtered by your ISP, first of all, they're fucking douchebags. You should get another ISP. But other than that, um, yeah, it, like like if your HTTPS is probably important, if you are logging into your email or your bank at Starbucks, then it's pretty damn critical because you never know exactly where that Wi-Fi came from. There's also other problems with using strange Wi-Fi. It's kind of like uh, public sex, but um, <laughs> so, so you're for it. I, well, I, in general, yes, but uh, not. I, I don't want. I don't want sloppy seconds or thirds or or sloppy SSIDs. No. Um, but yeah, HTTPS I think is is getting way too much uh, attention because uh, it's it's useful. If your ISP or if whomever is can between you and the server is trying to read your packets, it, it will help prevent that. And it's pretty important for places where there's sensitive data flying back and forth. But if you're just looking at porn, then does it matter that it's encrypted? Well, no. I guess it might if you're in Saudi Arabia and it's illegal, but well, yes, uh, if you're being spied on again by your government. I just looked in the, but, the but this call like is protected with HTTPS. If if you're reading Reddit and downloading meme images, then you probably don't need all that to be encrypted. Now, the one good thing about it is that in terms of resources, uh, modern processors, the the CPU required to do that is just about trivial. So, not a huge deal. And and again, this is something that Progo covered. So if you're interested in that, go go listen to that one again because he said it better than I could. But yeah, all of the, I, I think that all of the advice that oh you need to turn on HTTPS just to make sure that you're safe. Well, it protects against one type of threat and there's hundreds of different types of threats out there. Uh, none of which it protects against. Right. And it and, adds the other problem that somebody can fake the certificate and you're going to get the little lock well, and you yeah, think you're safe and the, you're not. That's the real problem is that browsers all will put the lock up there and people have been taught to think that lock means they're secure. And it doesn't mean you're secure. It means that your your data is encrypted and the ISP isn't reading it. That's it. Well, and when you talk about, I mean, the bigger issue here is talking about the Wi-Fi, like you said, at Starbucks, when we go out now that we're on our Xfinity phones, we don't like to use any mobile data. So we like to use the Xfinity hotspots or the hotspots wherever we go. If there isn't one and there's some restaurants we go to that have their own hotspot, which makes sense. And basically my cell phone usage advice comes down to this one i like running bitdefender because it will hopefully keep any viruses or bad things off the phone and i'll be notified if somebody is something on there goes awry and the other is i like to run a vpn when i'm out using somebody else's wi-fi because it takes the whole https thing it makes everything encrypted it, it it's it takes it to a new level by wrapping it at an, at an outer layer yeah, so that way you yeah. don't have to worry about whatever website you're going to. You know, if you're not HTTPS and you're using the Wi-Fi, you know, in your favorite coffee shop, they can be watching what sites you're going to. It's completely legal. It's their network. And 
what you want to do to make sure that your privacy is protected there is again, it depends who you trust. If you totally trust that Bucks coffee company, but you don't trust your VPN, and you got a different story. But if you have a VPN that you trust, that's who you want to go with. And then that way, you know, you don't have any worries when it comes down to you knowing, you know, worries that your data is not being encrypted. And those two simple things, I think, pretty much make most of everything that I do on the cell phone fairly secure. I mean, is there a possibility something's still going to go wrong? Sure. But a VPN and running antivirus software for the average user on a phone, I think that covers like probably what, 99% of what can go wrong? Uh, no, lots of things can go wrong that you have no control over. You could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Well, your antivirus is never going to protect you from that. That's a whole different kind of program, I guess. That's that's when you need anti-bus software. Right. That's the one that says, look up every now and then you might be walking into traffic. Possibly. Maybe. But I think that covers a vast majority of kind of what we wanted to talk about today, which is there are some simple things you can do when it comes down to the router, which is the first thing that's all traffic is going through and coming into your into your house or into your office. Make sure that software is updated more than anything else. Make sure that's updated. You can go to third party software, which can give you a little bit more control. Third party software can also make it a little bit more secure if your router company that you bought it from is not updating the stuff. So that's the first line of defense. And then you go into your PC. You use, like you said, Windows, just even running the antivirus software that they have now is pretty secure. If you want a little extra bump, go with something like a Bitdefender Go. They do every year, or they may do this every few months, where they go through and they there's a couple different places that test and they see what percentage of bad things that all this antivirus software can find and they rank them. You know, take one that's doing well, that doesn't cost a ton of money, install that on your machine, understand how the firewalls work, put a good password on your machine, especially if it is something that you're taking out and about with you, like a laptop. And the other thing is, I mean, if you're going to a coffee shop or you're sitting in an office, or, you know, even if your computer sits on your desk at your office, when you walk away, lock it. Don't just leave it open because anytime somebody can get access to any of your machines, all the security really goes right out the window because, you know, you're the you're the weakest link. And that's always the way it's going to be. The person's always going to be the weakest link. So the question you're, is, you're right. I am the weakest link. Yes. I'm sorry about that. And what can you do? And just try to do the yeah, bare stop, minimum. Stop handing your laptop to Sir Bimrose. Right. Never do that because then you never know what you're going to find. It's like when Dvorak used to be on Twit and Leo would get a new phone. I mean, I'd love that. At least the first time or two when Dvorak, then I don't know how he fell for this more than once where JCD's like, hey, let me see your phone. And then he like turns yeah. it to Cyrillic or Russian or something and hands it back to him like, have a good day. Yes. It's, yes. It's, it's not easy. I, uh, there were there were entertaining moments. <laughs> but I so, think that covers it. I, I by the way, I, I apologize. A couple minutes ago, I had a minor sushi emergency. Um, my the cat decided that uh, she was tired of seeing that plate of fish and rice on the table and decided it needed to be on the floor well cats like fish yes uh so anyways uh i think we've just about beat this topic to death and i also think we're over two hours now well there'll be editing done yes we'll just take your parts out it'll make yes, it much better that, that is a, that is an important <laughs> step well no no you you only take my parts out for the patreon 
that's true. And you know, I noticed now the uh, the backup recorder car card is full, so hopefully Zencaster does its job. <laughs> both both sides of the tape, <laughs> right? Both sides of the tape have been used. And if we missed anything on this topic, feel free to reach out to us at Darren at Grumpy Old Benz D A R R E N or Ryan at Grumpy Old R Y A N. Let us know what we missed. You can follow me on the tweeters at Darren O'Neill, D-A-R-R-E-N-O-N-E-I-L-L. And you can too. And, and you can follow Rose. me if you can find me. <laughs> this, is a, this is a new contest. Can you find it like, where's Waldo? Where's Sir Bemrose? I, I, well, no, that's, that's the way it works with all of the really paranoid podcasters is, is you can only follow me if you can figure out where. That's deep, man. So that's that's your challenge for this week, folks, is yes, to find yes. Sir Bemrose. And, and also that, that location is noagendasocial.com. Yeah, that's the only one. I mean, you can't find you at the Facebooks. You can't find you at the Twitters. You can't find you on Instagram. Not even putting to, cat pics out there. To my to my dismay, I am on other social networks, but I'm not going to admit which ones. Again, the challenge for everybody out there, if you can find Ryan Bemrose on one of those networks, feel free to toot it at us on no agenda social until next week i am darren o'neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle america just outside of Chirac, where uh, at least i didn't lose power and from america's left coast where it's not the size of your password database it's how you use it i'm ryan bemrose later <laughs>